been going through the Bible, starting in Genesis. We're now in the book of Leviticus. If you're catching up, or if you've just joined us and are curious, like bodily fluids, Leviticus is about some kind of unfortunate um, elements about humanity. So we've been going through and trying to tease out and dig in deep. What could these elements be pointing to? What could some of the meanings be behind them? Today we're going to cover chapters 13 through 15. And I've entitled this message, The Opposite of Life. The Opposite of Life. Let me say a quick prayer, and we'll go ahead and get started. God, I thank you so much for this community and for the life that every single one of them bring to me personally, to our family, and to each other. And I celebrate, God, uh, with you all of the amazing conversations and relationships that have been born out of this church. And today as we discuss life and these new rituals, I pray that once again we will be inspired, encouraged, challenged to take care deeply of this community. Help us to see the meaning behind these rituals, uh, the depth of message behind some of the profane and perhaps grotesque elements of our humanity and inspire us once again to be the kind of people in church that you desire us to be in this world. And I pray in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Leviticus chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, that may be... (laughs) And even read this without laughing. Well, it may be a defiling skin disease. They must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is, I can't, this is going to be too hard. My reading is just not going to do justice. So why don't we hear a reading, I don't know, from some more austere people. Let's see what the they have to say to, to us. Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on mm. their skin, yes, it Lord. may be a defiling skin disease. They must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. Mm-hmm. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin. That's and right. The hair in the sore examine that sore. White and the sore appears to be more than skin deep. It is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines them, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep, and the hair in it has not turned white. The priest is to isolate that the sheep doing in the background for seven days. Okay, so that's not even helpful either. I mean, the, the Bible. Exper- by the way, the Bible experience is one of my favorite audio productions of the Bible. Uh, a phenomenal cast, uh, an all African American cast, and it was just a really well done production. I've highly recommended it over the years. Um, so I went to this, and I was like, maybe if I just heard the Bible experience speak Leviticus, it would have, you know, more depth of meaning. And even then, you know, you're kind of like, oh, ah, do we really need to? (laughs) And then then it's like, if it's white, and then there's hair, and then it's shiny, and then all these different words, like, do we really? Uh, So I thought, well, okay, maybe, maybe that's not going to do it. Maybe if we went to some illustrations, even if we went to the, no, that's not going to help. No, no, that's not going to help. No, that's not going to help. None of these images. This, I'm serious, man. These chapters, nothing, absolutely is nothing is helpful. I mean, if, 
if I were to put up an emoticon for what I think about these, I mean, I thought chapter 12 was going to be difficult, and then you get to chapter 13, 14, and 15, and you're just like, oh, please, my eyes, I don't want to see this. There's too much going on there. So, oh, all right. So chapter 13, 14, and 15, it's going to get pretty detailed. And it's going to talk about very specific details about those details. I mean, they're even mentioning if it goes below skin deep. And I'm like, how is the priest even going to know that unless he's got some sort of digging device? And he's going to get, I'm like, oh my gosh, clinical, it's the doctor. This is why I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to med school for this, you know, all that. So let's just get over. Nothing's going to help this chapter. So if I can be of help, any help for these particular chapters, let's just do a quick cursory overview, and maybe some icons will help. 13, 1 through 46, skin diseases. Has something to do with hair, has something to do with color. I know, gross. Chapter 13, verses 47, 59, gets a little bit easier because now it has to do with clothes. That Anything that's on your clothes, uh, which defiles the clothes, which makes the clothes unclean, well then, go ahead and wash them. Okay, that's a little bit easier to do. <laughs> Chapter 14, verses 1 through 32, then has this ceremony is that what are you supposed to do in order to become clean it has this ceremony with these two birds and then there's goats and then you slaughter one of the birds pour the blood in the water so that's what's going on in chapter 14 verses 1 through 32 chapter 14 33 through 48 48 then goes to the house so you start on the skin that which is here then you go to your clothes that which is outside of you and then you go to your home the thing that you live in so moldy and i was like okay let me google pictures of mold on houses i no, can't put those up either. Those are all bad. Chapter 14, 49 through 15 repeats this ceremony uh, to make you clean, to make you participate back in the ritual. And then chapter 15, 1 through 33, you don't even want to touch because this is the biohazard chapter. And there's words mentioned there that you really shouldn't be talking about until you're in ninth grade health class. So that's the general outline of Leviticus. Here we go. Are you ready? This is the general outline. There's some stuff in here, and I get, I get it. If you're through a Bible reading plan and you get here, you're like, I'm out, I'm out, no more. I've, I've seen enough, I've heard enough. By the way, side note for some of you, this is, this is for some of you the only reason why you showed up to church. Leviticus chapter 13, 40 through 41. A man who has lost his hair and is bald is clean. Congratulations, all of you gentlemen. You're all clean. If he has lost his hair from the front of his scalp, I love how detailed it is. From the front of the scalp, has a bald forehead, he is clean. So congratulations, all of you, if you're ever concerned. By the way, that word uh, lost his hair actually is translated in some other passages, polished. So don't tell people that you're bald. Tell them that you're polished. So... Anyway, so if you're ever wondering if about that, there you go. Another thing that's going on in this passage, uh, some of the ways that some people try to explain what's going on is that they will say that all of these skin diseases, you would go to the priest. And so the priest is acting some ways as a doctor. By the way, just in case you're wondering, I don't want to know. So if, if, you, if you hear that and you're like, Maybe I need to go show Pastor Ke- No, the answer is no, because a couple things. Number one, the priests actually weren't the acting doctors. And the re- reason for that is we have other documents that suggest that they actually had physicians. And so the other reason is that, remember, as we talked about last week, the stuff, the discharges, all of these very grotesque elements are really not about medical things. They are about ritual 
purity. So if you've ever heard commentary that the priests are the ones that are also playing the role of doctor that's giving you some sort of treatment for how to take care of whatever is ailing you, let's also remember that's probably not the thrust. So I'm going to make the argument that even in these passages, that's going to be very explicit about the things that are happening to your body, to your clothes, and to your house. They're not about a medical pathology. They're not about some sort of sickness or uh, some sort of medical issue. This is once again the word tame. We talked about this last week. Tame means ritually impure or ceremonially unclean. It has to do with some sort of symbolism, some sort of meaning. So even here, even when we get to passages like chapter 13, 14, and 15, and you're talking about all these things, even here, you have to start asking some deeper questions. What's the symbol? What would these things have meant? What deeper meaning is behind these passages? And are there other things that these passages could be pointing to? Other elements about what does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to be godly? What does it mean to live in a community? These are the questions that we're asking. Last week, we talked about how blood was a symbol of life, and the loss of blood was the symbol of death, and about how those symbols, even though there's nothing wrong with them, they don't belong in places that are symbols of life. The segregation of those two things is really important for the symbolic practice and meaning, just like you showing up to a wedding in a suit and a tie or a tuxedo or a dress, uh, not necessarily in your sports gear, because it has a place and has a time. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that these passages here have very similar resonance, have a similar meaning. It starts off with skin diseases, something that happens here. The other reason why this isn't about medical issues is, if you notice, this same thing that has ailed your physical body, your skin, and the priest is supposed to look, is it under the skin? What color is it? Is the hair turned white? All that stuff has actually now been transferred to what you wear. In some ways, the thing, whatever the thing is that's making you unclean physically, is actually now being exposed to wider things. Now your clothes are also unclean. By the way, not only are you unclean, are your clothes unclean, but your house is also unclean. So there's something going on about the meaning of these passages that is suggesting There's a ritual, ceremonial purity that is really, really critical that perhaps starts with you. And if you don't take care of that which is ceremonially and ritually pure and clean about yourself, it's going to begin to spread to your clothes and then to your house. There's another clue that's happening in here. Um, Verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 45. If anyone with such a defiling disease must wear, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, Tame! Tame! Unclean! Unclean! And as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. I didn't take the time to illustrate this. Let me just tell you that commentators have noticed tearing of clothes, hair that is unkempt, 
and the covering of the lower part of the face. By the way, this is the only portion where you are to actually yell out, unclean, unclean. These things sound like the same kind of rituals that you participate in when someone has died. Does anybody, has anybody, for those of you who've been around Spark for a little bit, you've heard us talk a little bit about death. And if somebody is in mourning, if somebody is mourning the death of somebody they love, one of the things that you do is you tear your clothes. And the sounding of the ripping of the clothes is an indication of the pain and the suffering that you're going through. We've talked a little bit uh, before about when we get to Good Friday and Jesus dying on the cross for our story, what happens to the veil in the temple? It is torn. And in some ways, that's a picture and a symbol of God the Father crying out in mourning and in pain at the loss and the death of his son. So turn of clothes, hair unkempt, meaning I am not normal. Something horrible has happened to me and crying out unclean, unclean. So there's something about this and as well as the color, notice there's the color of white that seems to be much associated with the idea of death. And the separation from the community for seven days is the same separation, the same ceremonial separation that you're supposed to do if you've touched a dead body. So what's going on here? Okay, skin disease, mold on clothes, mold on the houses. But what you do sounds like something that has an association with death to it. This phrase, by the way, to isolate, shows up multiple times in these passages. And not only are you to be isolated, but the garment is also to be isolated. The house is also to be isolated. You are to actually literally be closed off from the community, from entering. And if anybody enters into the house during this time, during the mold, and the priest sees it, and the mold is here, and the mold is there, and the priest says, uh-uh, shuts it down. If you enter into the house, you become unclean. So what's going on here? First point I'd like to suggest is that the separation of the person from the community is symbolically representative of death. The idea for this Levitical passage is Whatever is going on in these ceremonies, whatever is going on in these rituals, it is akin to recognizing that some sort of death has happened. And to participate, therefore, in the ceremony of being made clean again, you have to separate yourself. And there's some sort of spiritual connection between you being separate, separate while you're experiencing this defilement that is close to death. In other words... To be isolated from the community is, in and of itself, a form of death. Something about you, something about us, and something about this passage is communicating that to be alive, to have life, means to be deeply connected to a community, to each other, to one another. And as soon as a separation from that community happens, that according to this Leviticus passage and according to these symbols, is a symbol of death. Death and separation from the community are deeply interlinked and interwoven in this Levitical passage. 
Just recently, I was actually having a conversation with somebody who has been a part of our community a little bit and uh, been a part of my community for a while. And I've had a couple of these conversations recently where their participation in what you're doing now in the services and fellowship and hanging out with the kids and one another and connecting slowly begins to wane off. And unfortunately, church attendance, especially from pastors like myself and other people, is usually felt like, can, can sometimes be communicated as condemnation. You're not showing up to church, I see. Mm, something must be wrong. But according to this particular passage, according to the way in which these rituals are aligned, my perspective is simply this. There's no condemnation. Look, you're traveling or whatever. But it may be an indicator for some that something is dying within the person. And I've had multiple conversations with people that say, you know what, my walk with God, my spirituality, my identity, who I am, all of those things are starting to just be full of tumult, concern, confusion, whatever. And you know what almost immediately follows that or is almost immediately connected with that is a separation from your community. I want to talk to so-and-so anymore. I really don't feel like showing up to church anymore. I don't feel like hanging out with my friends anymore. The separation from community is and can be some sort of indicator of a loss of life. And in many ways, what we're going to see here, because Leviticus is going to take us to rituals that reinvigorate life, what we're going to see here is how to come back to the community, which according to this Leviticus passage is coming back to life. And if we can attend to those things in these rituals, we can figure out what those meanings are and attend to them, here we find life. This is hard to sometimes communicate to people that are already in the room. Let me just tell you, as I've been preparing about this and thinking about this, my heart and my prayer is deeply going out to people I know, some names that are even coming to me, who, for some reason, for, for whatever life has brought them, has felt like their involvement with the community is no longer worthy, felt like their involvement with the community is somehow compromised because either they messed up or they're just not feeling it in the same way. And so as a result of that, they're, they're like, I, I'm not quite sure if I want to show up anymore. Some of that has to do with shame. Some of that has to do with guilt. Some of that has to do with just the different ways in which we process. I'm going to suggest to you that that may be an indicator that life is slipping. And my heart and my prayer is not condemnation. Not that you need to get your rear end in these seats because it's your spiritual duty. My heart is that if there is life that's being lost, my prayer is that what we do here helps you reinvigorate, re-enliven your purpose, your identity, your sense of connection. I didn't have time to put it in here. Several sociologists recently have actually done some work on this study. Robert Putnam once wrote a book back in 2000. It was a very famous book entitled Bowling Alone. And in that book, he talked about the fragmentation of the American community. And what he suggested, and again, this is some work that needs to be done, just read his book and all of his reports, but what he's suggesting is that the fragmentation of the community, the idea that your kids are on the front lawn playing with all the neighbor's kids and you're over at the neighbor's houses all the time, we're not doing that anymore in the same way. And what he's suggesting is that fragmentation, that loss of community, that sense that we're no longer bowling in leagues but we're bowling alone, is his phrase, is actually harming us 
is actually diminishing the amount of uh, self-esteem that we have, diminishing our productivity. And he goes on and on. We are losing what he calls social capital. So even sociologists today, I think, resonate with this idea that life is found with a deep connection with the community. And a separation from the community means that there is some sort of death that is happening. Our hope and our prayer, again, is never, never that you feel condemned if you miss out or you can't make it on a Sunday. You know, that happens. I'm going to miss next Sunday. Our hope and our prayer is that you come because you know that by being connected to a community like this or being connected to your small group or being connected to your community enlivens you, enriches you, provides for you a sense of connection that gives you life. And that's what we want to do and we want to be. And if you have ever felt like, well, I don't know if I want to show up anymore. I don't know if, I, if I'm good enough. I don't know if my life in its current state deserves to be a part of that community. The answer is absolutely it does. Because here, if you're ever feeling like a loss of life in that sense, here is where you find life. And this is so important to the Leviticus passage because all throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the whole thing is all about come back to the community for in this community you find life. And when I hear stories and why I get connections and you know, when we hug and we get to laugh together and share and hear news reports, the burdens that I have get to be carried by a friend. The joys that I have get to be celebrated by a friend. All of life gets to be shared together, and we get life together. So point number one, this Leviticus passage and the ceremonies that are going on seem to be indicating that there's a spiritual connection or a real connection between separation from the community and death. And in some ways, this person that has this ailment, that has disease, looks like death. Looks like death. So they're walking around alive, but they look like death. The word here that is key to this entire passage is the word tsara'at. Can you say tsara'at? Tsara'at. Now, tsara'at has this very strange translation history. It's been translated in the Greek in the 9th century as the word lepra. As a result, from that 9th century translation, and ever since that time, Sarat has been known as leprosy. It's known today as Hansen's disease. But if you do the work, nobody, nobody believes that this is true. Your Bible still translate this word leprosy. Again, that's kind of been caught in our tradition. It's been that way. But the real disease, Hansen's disease, leprosy, is actually not this disease, Sarat. It's something different. If you, for those of you who are doctors or have studied medicine, you can actually go through the passage and, and take a look at some of the symptoms and say, yeah, that's actually not what is going on. So there's something else going on. And again, this isn't a medical book. This is a ritual book, ceremony book about a spiritual community. There are two other times where this word sara'at show up that are significant to what is this disease? What is this thing that's on the skin that contaminates then the clothes, that contaminates then the house? The first part is in Exodus chapter 4. If you remember, Moses is having this debate with, he's having this argument with God, and he's saying, "Ah, I don't want to go. There's no way you're going to send me to Egypt. And God gives him a couple signs. And one of those signs is, Moses, put your hand inside of your cloak. And so he does. And then when he took it out, the skin was, and again, here's the NIV translation, 
leprous. But again, the word is tsara'at. It has that skin disease. It had become white as snow. Again, a symbol of death. But the other place where this word shows up is in Numbers chapter 12. And here is where the commentary gets really good and really fascinating. In this passage, there's an unfortunate incident that happens that people, of course, look at God and say, why are you so mean? Let's read this story. Now, pay attention to what's going on and the connection with this skin disease, Sarah'at. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Quote, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? What are they doing? They are complaining against Moses and ultimately against God because I'm not getting any credit here. God's only spoken through. No, he's spoken through us. And I love this. And the Lord heard this as if that was commentary that was needed. Right after this, I'm not quite sure who put, put this in here. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Just to make sure Moses had nothing to do with this, he's a humble guy. Then the Lord said to them, When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak now, your NIV is going to say face-to-face. The Hebrew is actually mouth-to-mouth. Clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why, then, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? As if, I'm just going to say it. I, somebody's got to say it. Everybody knows it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was... Leprous, now that's that word, tsara'at. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant. Notice the connection of this disease and death again. Something has died coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half-eaten away. This passage is one of the only other passages outside of Leviticus where somebody gets tsara'at, whatever this leprosy, whatever this skin disease is, tsara'at. And why does she get it? Miriam gets this disease because she spoke against Moses. She verbalized and spoke ultimately against God. And she did so on the premise that I'm not getting any credit. What is that? What is that? It's pride. If we back up to the Leviticus passage, it's separating herself from the community. That's Moses. Apparently, I'm not a part of that. I want to get some too. Rather than recognizing that as God has spoken through Moses, face to face, mouth to mouth, it is for the bringing together of the community. So it's pride. It's gossip. It's slander. She voiced out of her heart a negative defilement of Moses and ultimately of God, revealing that she was not connected, revealing that she was more about herself, revealing that this was all about her. 
And as a result, she gets this defiling skin disease. This disease is connected with, one, what you say, two, what you say about your community. And this is one of the reasons why I think this is the only disease where you actually have to verbalize unclean, unclean, because this disease is connected to what you say. This story in Numbers chapter 12 indicate that there is some sort of progression. It starts with a sense of identity, of individuality. I am me, and I better get some, or nobody's recognizing who I am. It manifests itself then in verbal slander or defilement or speaking out against somebody. It then turns into this horrible disease, this skin disease. And then if you notice, I didn't put it up there on the slide, but Miriam is then separated from the community for seven days. It's almost as if until you can get your act together again, Miriam, until you can recognize, until you can bring your heart back together. By the way, if you want to speak out against Moses, speak out against the community, speak out against God, that's where you belong, isolated, not a part of the community. And that isolation from the community, according to the Leviticus passage, is ultimately that symbol of death. Does this make sense? This skin disease that is so grotesquely delineated, detailed out in Leviticus, may have symbolic power of what you say from your heart about your place within the community. And according to the priest, they examine it, they look at it, they see it, and they determine ritually and ceremonially whether or not your heart has been changed, transformed, from your position of being, it's all about me, to, I want back into the community. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it eat its fruit. So what is this disease? These are sins that are antisocial. Sins that attack, defame, and slander the community. Sins that focus on the individual at the expense with the community. And somebody with this disease, Tzaharat, is cut off from both worlds. This community, but they're not dead yet, so they're not joined that community of the afterlife. They're caught in between. It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol that you are no longer a part of this life. Does that make sense? Last piece. What is up with the birds? Because... In order to then be ritually and ceremonially pure so that you can be welcomed back into this community, you have to go through this ritual that involves two live birds. One of them you kill. You sprinkle the blood into some water. You take a cedar board, a crimson thread, and some hyssop, dip it in, and wave it around, and now you're ceremonially unclean. And at this particular point, most of us in the modern world go, see, this is why I don't read the Bible. There's another indicator that this might be pointing to something bigger. Leviticus chapter 13, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, that may be, and here's the key word, a plague, skin disease. Now that word plague is found this many times. 
in the Bible. It's found once in Genesis, talking about a plague that comes on Egypt. It's found once in Exodus, which we're going to get to. And then it's found a whole bunch of times in chapter 13, 14, and 15 in Leviticus. The only other time that this word shows up in Exodus is at the very end of a very long list, painful list, of difficult, challenging, torturous events that have happened to the people of Egypt. Does anybody remember what the last plague of Egypt was? This is the only other time this word shows up in Exodus. Plague, disease, here's that word again, death. Something has happened there. So what happens about these things? The two birds perhaps could symbolically represent, by the way, one of those birds dies. The blood goes in the water. Does anybody remember water and the story of Exodus? And one of those birds is let free. Does anybody remember a people or a community group that's been let free from the Exodus? What do the Israelites do before they're freed? Is there cedarwood and hyssop and blood that is sprinkled on those doorposts that symbolize the birthing of something brand new in this community? Before they were living in little houses, before they were li- living in little communities, but now all of them, everyone who had participated in this ceremony, gets launched out of Egypt as one brand new nation, one brand new community. They had been reborn as a people. And so what are these elements doing in Leviticus? I would suggest to you that these elements are actually reminiscent of a story that they know. There was a time when somebody was on the throne, and he didn't want to be a part of our community. By the way, he separated and segregated us. By the way, he kicked us out. By the way, he was threatened by us. And by the way, he was thinking about only himself. By the way, he spoke words that were totally against us and our God. And what happened to him? Death of the firstborn. There was that that happened. But through this ceremony, all of us who were a part of the people of God came together as a community And as a result of that coming together, we were freed, we were liberated, we found brand new life. And something about the participation of selfish, individualistic, prideful gossip and slander against the community is resonant to that Pharaoh's story. Resonant of, it's all about me, and a separation from the community. But the participation in the ceremony reminds you, but there was a way that God made for me, for us to come together once again. And by participating in that ceremony, by participating in those symbols and rituals, I am reminded once again of what God has done for me, for us, and how we were joined together as one community launching out into this world. And then... From this disease, we are healed, we are cleaned, and we are brought back into the community where we find life.
I've entitled this message, The Opposite of Life. So if I can sum up all of these elements, there's a whole bunch of layers in that I know, stuff to chew on for a little while. The opposite of life is one, isolation. Stay out of the community for seven days. That's the symbol of death. But the opposite of life is also individualism. Miriam saying, hey, what about me? Uh, anybody recognize that God has spoken to me too? I'd like some credit. Can you put a, I put, put a title behind my name too? The opposite of life is slander, defilement, to speak from your mouth words that hurt and damage this community, which, by the way, is a sermon and message in and of itself. You all can come up with stories where beautiful, wonderful communities were hurt, destroyed by somebody just talking. And so this ceremony of the hyssop and the birds and the blood and all that stuff is to remind you of what God has done, to remind you of how he's built this community, to remind you how you were liberated with everybody else, and that this is your family. This ceremony is to remind you that you are welcome back. You can be here. This ceremony is to remind you that you are not actually just an individual. You are a precious, critical piece of a community. And we want you to be a part of that community. So this entire story, 13, 14, 15 of Leviticus, blood, discharges, mold on houses, clothes. It's not necessarily about those things. They may symbolize what we have done to separate us from the community, to cause us to be isolated, to cause us to be individual, to cause us to then, or prior to, speak against that same community. And this Leviticus passage exhorts us, encourages us, inspires us, challenges us, and then gives us hope that we don't have to be there, that we can actually come, be restored, find our identity once again in a group of people, and be enlivened once again in our lives. Remind yourself of the story. Remind yourself of the community. And begin to rebuild yourself and this community by the words that you say, by the encouragements that you give, by the life that you share with one another. And that's why we come. That's why we celebrate. And that's why we read Leviticus. (laughs) Father God, I thank you for this community and for the life that they have given to me and to us. And I pray that we can dig deep in these symbols and these rituals. And I pray that we can extract meaning, identity, connection, community, and help us to find our identities and connection once again, right here with all of us. We pray in your name. Amen.